Welcome to the Group Home Riches Podcast. If you have the desire to be your own boss, create your own schedule, and become financially free while at the same time helping people in need, then you've come to the right place. At GroupHomeRiches.com, we teach people exactly like yourself how to get started in the group home business, and on this podcast, you're going to hear their stories firsthand. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Group Home Riches podcast. Today, I'm excited to have one of our first successful, we released last year, we released the Done For You program, which is basically almost like a partnership somewhat, but very higher level, somewhat larger investment. And we offered the opportunity for clients to basically partner with our team. So Jade started with us just a little under a year ago. And we are doing a live interview. We have a ton of people on the podcast just to hear Jade's story. And then um, we'll be doing a live Q&A towards the end. So Jade, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. Kind of before we get into the nitty gritty of like the group home business and stuff like that, why don't you give people just a background? You know, what were you, what were you doing before you found group home riches and what made you want to look up this business in the first place? So I did social work earlier in my career, and then I had a family. We have five children, and we were homeschooling. And so I have discovered you guys some years ago now, but just was busy with family life. And then I decided to take the step to reach out to you guys further and be guided by you and your team just to do something for myself and assist the community within that process. And then also have my children see that there's something for mom to do as well. (laughs) My biggest why. Mom was busy though. So when you, you first found us, when was that? It was in the year 2016 when we were in Costa Rica we were living in Costa Rica so 2016 so I followed you guys for a while yeah one of the originals on our email list I bet so Jade's been with group home riches before I have believe it or not (laughs) but she was very busy I'm sure you were like passively following but it wasn't like you were really studying and like actively looking to start the business back then right correct I read through it all and then got sidetracked and then came back. Well, I mean, you had a, maybe not anywhere you needed to punch in, but you had a full-time job. Why don't you tell, you don't need to go into the exact details if you don't want to, but it's a a little handful of kids, right? We had a handful of kids. (laughs) We're homeschooling in the process as well. So with all that, running this business now, here and now, it's possible to do all of that. Yeah. So in the group, the done for you deal, it's like by working with you guys, you created those systems for me to do this homeschool, be focused with my family, but then also have this business as well. Yeah. We'll get to all that, but exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So homeschooling. So basically a teacher and the little people are, it's not like they're out of the house still. So you're still pretty busy with the home life, right? Mm -hmm. From one to one to ten, one year old to ten year old, and few others in between. Now, were you kind of actively like when did you start actively like getting back into the gold course and be like, all right, 
I'm going to go for this. So I started with you in September of 2022. So it was honestly, we drove through the night and I binge listened to the whole podcast again. So a month prior. So I would say end of July of 2022. Okay. Yep. And then we did, I began with you in September. Beautiful. So we're following us for quite some time, but it was kind of, you know, something in the background, something you're thinking about doing, but you got back into it, kind of binged the info. And then for like, kind of thought about it for a couple of weeks and you pulled the trigger. Correct. Now I know you were doing social work. When did you stop doing that? Jeez, that was 12 years ago before the children. So I worked with some, yeah, with youth. It was youth. Yeah, inner city youth going through the court system. And so it was a good, I enjoyed it. But then the next chapter of family life began. So I've always wanted to do, assist the community. And I feel this is a great way to do it. Was that the main kind of thing that drew you to this business? Yeah, it was. Just sort of give back and get involved. Excellent. Had you ever done, was there any ever any like real estate interest or business interest or anything like that? Or was it just the pure, you really just enjoyed kind of helping people out? Definitely owning our own businesses in addition was a perk. It is a positive for us and our family. It gives us our flexibility. And so, yes, I've, I never dug deep into the real estate but it was always in the back of my mind. And so once I learned about you guys, I figured it could merge and blend very nicely to have your own business, do the real estate, and then you assist those out in the world. I would say those are the two, if I had to estimate about 80% of the people that I work with kind of fall into those personality traits. They're typically working in nursing, or social work, or maybe they've worked in group homes, healthcare, some form of like helping people. But then they've also, you know, after doing a couple years of that, correct me if I'm wrong, but those are typically not paths that you're going to become like financially free from or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So they start to look into, all right, can I find a business that kind of scratches that urge? But at the same time, maybe we can make a little bit of more money. So Number one motivation was just helping out the community, but then you probably realized, hey, wait a minute, I can make a, a whole bunch of more money too. It's nice to have the little cash flow with it. Yep, absolutely. So for about a month before working with us, you were kind of doing it on your own. What were some of the challenges or issues that were holding you back from getting started before you started working with us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was just the family life for me. And I knew once I saw the whole done for you deal, that it was a good way for me to just jump in and dive in and do it. That you guys have the expertise, you guys have the experience, and you would put the systems in place that would lead me to the success. And so I had a conversation with my husband and he said, go for it. Because I've talked to him about it for some years now. And so maybe he was just done listening to me too. He's like, okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Time to put your money where your mouth is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What was it like when you first started to get out there? What were some of the things that kind of surprised you about the business, if anything? I think initially just 
fully understanding the need that is out there, understanding that how many people do need an affordable living and the nonprofits, the organizations out there can be very overwhelmed because they don't know where to place the next individual. And so I think that was the biggest thing was to hear the need out if, there. If you started all over again, you didn't have us working with you, what would be the very first thing that you would do today to start? Knowing what I know now, yep. go, go meet the organizations. Go find the ones that are interacting with those individuals every single day. And once you do that, the doors will open. They'll know the next person. They'll know the next person. And yeah. I remember our first kind of onboarding call before we decided to work with each other. Was that something that you were kind of nervous about? Yeah, it definitely was. Just because going back to it, I was home for 10 years with my children, right? And so just being in the business world, I was out of it for so long. That did make me nervous. But then over time, you just understand everybody's human. And people in this line of work have a big heart and they want the best thing for that next person. So once I talked with you, Brandon, and we did a few of our phone calls, I was like, okay, it's not as scary as my mind thought it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> How many times did we get told off or yelled at for not having a no. property yet or not having a license? Oh, no, it was the opposite, right? It's when will you have the property? Let exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing that holds a lot of people back. So let's touch on that. So you were sitting on a big, furnished, beautiful property before we got marketing and working with these organizations, right? No, no, no. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So I did a an interview earlier with another gentleman who had a... He had a background in real estate, you know, like myself, we've both done sales before, not just, you know, warm sales, but we've both done cold calling and then even door knocking, you know, door to door, completely uninvited and then trying to sell stuff to people. So this stuff's kind of second nature to folks like that. But had you ever done a sales job or marketing or anything like that before we started working together? No, not at all. I had to learn. But once you get your feet wet a little bit, you can learn pretty quickly with it. Yeah. Years past, I have not. Yeah. So that's something that we kind of touched on that. So it's cool that, that we bring this up now. But picture going up to a stranger's house and, you know, trying to sell them a vacuum or asking them if they want to sell their property. That's the type of stuff that I used to do. Right. So I. I saw Scott nodding his head. There's another door knocker in the house. <laughs> and it's something that, yeah, like the fear against eventually becomes smaller, but that fear of objection is almost always there. Like there's eventually it's just a smaller percentage, but there's always like this guy, I might get yelled at right now, or someone might call the cops on me. <laughs> right. So I totally get it, especially for folks out there that have never done a call like that. It can be super nerve wracking to just pick up the phone and call a nonprofit. There's a lot of kind of misconceptions. A lot of people think that they have to be an expert 
before they speak with people. They think they need to pretend to be like a, this successful group homeowner. They think they need to pretend like they have this house and they're marketing. And it's just totally not like that, right? Did you have those kind of fears and thoughts like that in your head before we started setting up meetings with you? Yeah, because you don't want to be, be make yourself look silly, right? Look foolish. But then once you get to talking to them, right? They and you just if you don't have the answer, you can flip it back onto them. What do you do? What do you provide? How can we move forward? So yeah, definitely that fear of rejection is real. And the mind likes to play very big games on us. So once we can get over that hurdle, it's huge. It really is huge. But then it's great to have the mentorships and your organization just provides so many tools. And that's yeah. The first couple, you just kind of had to sit back and, and listen. <laughs> Do you remember what our the pitch was? Like, you don't have to say it verbatim, but just to give the folks an idea so they could do this stuff on their own if they want to. With? When we like opened up like the Zoom meetings after we had set up the appointments. Oh, Brandon, are you putting me on the spot right now? A little bit. <laughs> I'll say it if you don't you remember. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the way it works, uh, the way the, the pro and you guys can totally do this with the gold course, right? So we have a keyword guide in there that, that gives you the keywords on how you can find these nonprofits in your city. Then we just do, we shoot a quick email. That email is, I forget the exact pitch, but it's, Hey, you know, we have our virtual assistants do this on a big scale, right? So it's not just like a couple of them. We find like a thousand of them and then we do email marketing, you know, calling like the bigger ones. We kind of hammer, Hey, this is Brandon with so-and-so housing. We just want to let you know that we plan on opening, you know, three properties in the next six to 12 months. We see that you have a blah, blah program. You know, we'd love to set up an appointment and kind of see what your needs are. So that's a quick email, a lot of back and forth. Then we'll hop on the call. And it's pretty much the same pitch. It's, it's, you know, hey, my name's Brandon. You know, I'm the manager of our community outreach team. And then pause. That's our fancy term for like the marketing. So we called it the community outreach team. Again, you know, we plan on opening a couple properties in the next couple of months. We're, we're actively looking for the first property now. I'm here with the operational manager, Jade. She's going to be our boots on the ground out in some city in Texas. <laughs> we see you have a blah, blah, blah program. We're just calling to get some more information on that. And we never got told off. We never had anybody. I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever, even with any of my done for you deal calls, I don't think we've ever even gotten like a not super positive response. Can you, what, do you remember it like that as well, Jade? Correct. Uh, everybody was just, they were curious some of the organizations have not heard of this type of housing then. So yeah, they asked a lot of questions to just get some information and curious. And then at the end of it, they do want you to keep in touch and to just follow up. I would say that was maybe one of the surprising thing is just being persistent in the emails in the beginning too, of how, how many follow-up emails you might have to do in order to get, in order to get a response back. And so yeah. I would, don't be discouraged on that it just might take more than one email for somebody to respond to you 
it wasn't you. So there's a couple just basic like kind of sales and marketing lessons that definitely apply to this business, even though probably a lot of you out there don't necessarily like even you, Jade, do you picture your, do you think of yourself as like a marketer right now? In my mind, yes. But okay. like when we first initially started it, no, that wouldn't be the label I put on it. But now I do understand, like if I want to go segue into another nearby city, I would have to market it, right? I'd have to yeah. go find those organizations to market myself and to market the concept. So yes. Yeah. So there's a couple of just kind of basic, you know, marketing principles. One, a lot of people don't realize how big that they need to take it. So even though we probably interacted, if it were, you know, calls or meetings or appointments, I don't know, I don't know, but maybe, maybe like 10 to 20 of them overall, but we were marketing to like over a thousand. So that's one thing that people don't realize just in marketing in general is how big you need to take it. Couple examples like that, like with landlords. So let's say you just talk to two landlords and they tell you, no, if you don't understand that you need to go big, you might be like, oh man, these people don't want to work with me and you might quit. Or you might, you know, speak with two social workers and then you never hear back from them. And you're like, hey, why can't I get my first, my waiting list built up? <laughs> so that's number one, you need to go big and you apply this to every business, right? Two, the money's in the follow-up, which is what you brought up, Jade. And I want everybody to kind of, again, this applies to every business, okay? Jade, have you ever heard of the seven touch rule? I have not. So allegedly, I don't know how they can really prove this, but the general idea is pretty true. So, but allegedly it takes across all industries, the average is seven touches before somebody uses a new product or new service. So everybody on this call, if you guys have the gold course, I want you to think about it. It wasn't like you just saw like one ad from us or just saw one video and you immediately joined the gold course, right? You probably saw an ad, maybe went to our YouTube page, maybe watched a couple of videos, read some reviews. Then you joined our email list. Then you maybe wrote us a question via email. Maybe you hopped on a free consultation. And right there, that's around seven touches before you joined the gold course. For somebody like Jade, Jade needed probably a couple hundred touches. <laughs> but on average, that's kind of, it's very rare that someone's going to use a new product or new service after one touch, right? So the same thing applies here. You know, you have to do Jade before we even got on those calls, like the Zoom meetings, there was usually like two or three or five, you know, back and forth emails before we even got on those calls, right? right. Um, and then that's just the introduction. Usually, you know, then you have to follow up, like we might've been speaking with just like a social worker and then they need to get on a call with the director and then you need to go through it again. Then you're going to want to set up like an in-person meeting. <laughs> then you contact them when you get the property and then they're going to want to show it. And then you might still, you need to follow up a couple times before they actually send you a client. So even with, you know, the done for you program, it's not like you just, you like you sign up and like we immediately have a bunch of contracts and a waiting list for you. We still have to do the work, right? So 
yeah, so take these lessons. This is stuff that you guys can totally like apply on your own for sure. You definitely don't need to do the the done for you program. Jade, it wasn't you, but one of the first, uh, it was one of the clients right around the time when we were working with you. I went through and looked at our email chain. It was like 40 back and forth emails <laughs> before we got a contract with this organization. Wow. So, yeah, so it's you hit the nail on the head. I guess it was something that was surprising to you, but definitely not for me because anybody that's done sales or marketing, they know that you just got to constantly be following up with people. Just even on a different realm of it, of going away from email, right? Is actually physically going into some of these organizations and let them see your face right away just to get the contact. And that has worked out well for me at this point as well. And this is something that we encourage everybody to do. I'll just say flat out right now, if you're expecting us to literally do all of the work and all the closing and just send a contract, it's possible, but not probable. Typically, people are going to want to do, and this is another marketing lesson for folks out there. And again, you guys can think of this in your own kind of habits, right? You do business, you get products and things like that with people that you like. Right. It's very rare that someone's going to do business to business with somebody without kind of shaking their hands, especially a business like this. The organizations are definitely going to want to shake your hand. They're going to make sure that you're a good person. You're in it for the right reasons. So that's a huge takeaway. And so, it's really selling yourself to them that, like Brendan just said, of you have the heart. So I had one organization she has not had good experiences working with other group homes and she was very hesitant and she's like, okay, I'll come look at the house though. And I hope you can change my mind. And then she came and visited the house that we had ready. This was the organization. And in the end, she's like, okay, I approve of this. I will send you people. And so I just think that's a key point as well of, letting them see you, letting them know that your heart's in the right place. Because yeah, that was a good moment. I enjoyed meeting that lady and she actually referred somebody to me just yesterday. So, so yeah, <laughs> we go. going well. Yes, you see it live just now. Perfect example. Meeting with them, shaking their hands. And the cool part about, you know, I'm guessing the majority of the people on the call probably have a like a similar background. I'm guessing that out of the almost hundred people on the call, I bet you there's very few people that want to be slumlords out there. <laughs> yeah. Anybody that kind of is actively looking up this business and kind of find us, even if they're not from like a social work or, you know, healthcare background, they're real estate people that are kind of unfulfilled and they want to do something that actually helps the community. So that goes a huge way when you're, quote unquote, pitching these places, which, you know, you don't have to think of it like being a car salesperson or something like that. You don't have to, like, say anything slick, but definitely tell your story, especially if you got like a, a background like, like Jade's. Did that contact that we were just talking about, was she... The fact that you had a background in social work and your main motivation was actually helping the community. Do you feel like that helped you build rapport with that woman? I think so. 
and I think just being honest with her too and yeah just telling her yeah like you said the story and then letting her actually view the house and let her show like our house rules um get into the nitty-gritty of it then right too the licensing agreement and let her see how things will be played out it just develops a trust and so yeah it was just a it was a good moment, Brandon. Love it. What were some of the bad experiences that that woman had faced? Did she go into any details or did you ask? I chose not to overly ask into it. I think it was just on, honestly, the pricing and then what some of how the accommodations were 100% set up in some of these past group homes that she has worked with. And I should preface that she was working with domestic violence and so primarily women and just seeing the, in some of the other homes of having mixed genders, it doesn't quite work for those populations. So I think just being mindful in the beginning of the population you're trying to serve and to understand some of the hardships that they personally have had to go through. Yeah. So Jade got to see it live, but I think the good, the best overall mindset for the majority of you to have when you are, especially if you're just getting started out is kind of come from it as like an information gathering. So Jade on our calls that we did via zoom, like how much talking did I do? And when we first introduced ourselves, maybe a little more, and then we gathered information from the organizations. Yeah, it's just so the folks out there, if they've never done these meetings, you wouldn't know, but we know just from asking, right? Hey, what type of properties are you looking for? What are your clients need? What are some of the challenges that they're facing? Right. So with that particular demographic, privacy is typically a huge issue. It just seems common sense to me that you wouldn't want to, we don't mix genders at all, but especially with that demographic, people that have had, they're in a shelter because of the opposite sex, you know, doing awful things to them. Typically, they're going to be pretty uncomfortable about living with other men, right? So just the fact that you were open and like asking questions, I bet went a long way. And also just the fact that you're going to prove yourself over time too. So you'll start to see that. And then there's the word of mouth. So have you started to get like referrals from other people in the industry that maybe you've worked with and they refer to other people in the industry yet? Yeah, I have. We reached out to one organization and he was up front and he's saying like, we wouldn't be able to refer many, maybe 10 throughout the year because they're dealing with the homeless population that is just more chronically homeless. And some people just do not want to be in a home after that. But he provided me with a great reference. And so we followed up with them and they've been referring people left and right. So if I can get another property, I think the house would be full pretty quickly. Yeah. That's the way it goes, right? Once you kind of lay this foundation and start doing the groundwork, is that one of the biggest challenges that you're facing now? It's just kind of the real estate side of things. Yeah. Yes. If we had another property, it would it would be full then. 
But we are, with all that said, to segue it over to the real estate side, we currently have two properties. One we have purchased, and then one I am working with with an investor. And so he's currently fixing up another house, hoping should be open soon or available soon and wants to partner up again. And so we kind of have both realms, which is nice. Yeah. So that's besides just kind of the fear of objection, picking up the phone and just really smiling and dialing consistently. I'd say that's like the first challenge that a lot of people face. Then the next challenge is that, you know, a lot of people don't have $40,000 sitting around to purchase a property. So why don't we talk about that? How do we go about getting the property once we set up those connections for you? How do we go about getting the property? Yep. If we don't want to purchase? Um, well, how did, how did you do it? Our first one we did chose to purchase. We did have a little network of real estate agents, investors, but we personally chose to purchase for our first property and it's gone well. But then on the second one, we just weren't ready to buy. And we were introduced to, like I said, the gentleman that was open to the business model. And it just is a win-win for everybody then. Okay. So I was thinking we spoke with the gentleman over Zoom with you. Did you end up working with him? Not on his properties. He's more our agent and gives me some great advice on how to find properties for less than what the market is rate is okay but he's not the one that owns the second property okay he introduced me to our investor he introduced us and so that's the other thing is like having your little network of people if it's not the one person they know somebody let them know what you're doing and they know somebody who might know somebody so it's just things fall into place organically when you allow when you share some of the story and you connect with people. Yeah. So that was one of the other things I really like you working with you with. You took us up on the investor pitch. So had you ever, I know you, you kind of gave the elevator pitch and got the agent, like at least curious enough about it. Had you ever like pitched this idea to landlords before or anything like that? I have not. No, I have <laughs> not. So I was very grateful for you. That's another thing, right? So especially if people have never done this before, that's something that can be like really daunting, right? Speaking with landlords and like pitching this idea with them to where you could, we have some people that actually partner with landlords and try to get in there with no money down, or typically it's like a leasing situation. So why don't you walk the folks through that? It's the second property you said that you're working with a landlord on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, go ahead. Why would a landlord want to work with you? Like I said, it's the win-win, right? Mm-hmm. We earn a little, they earn a little bit more and we're able to earn a little bit more. So this particular gentleman, he, he was interested in group homes prior, but he didn't know how to open one himself. So we sat down and I explained our model. He was looking more at the licensed route. He didn't know the idea of the unlicensed. And so we just sat down. I, like I said, I gave him our perspective, how it would work. And then how he can earn a little more 
through this model. So it's pretty straightforward, especially when you find somebody who's open to the idea from the beginning. I didn't have to do much convincing or persuasion. Yep. About 99% of the people, when they hear about this business, they have pretty much the same questions, which is even if you guys are on our email list, you could go back and, and read the very first like five emails that we sent you. They're the main topics that everybody has questions about. So, Jade, I don't know if you remember like the first time I did that call with the agent that you knew, mm -hmm. but there's a video in the gold course called Fully Understanding the Business Model. I mean, that call with the agent and every call that I have with an investor or anybody that's curious about the business, they're all pretty much the same things. <laughs> they're all like, it's pretty much the same combo. It's not like, I'm not like really selling. I'm not like talking about how much money they're going to make that much. That's part of it. Right. But do you remember some of the questions that, that your friend had, or even like the current landlord that you're working with? Like what were some of the main questions or things that they asked you before they wanted to move forward with you? I would say the legality. Yeah, that's a huge do, one. How can you do this being unlicensed? That was one of the main points. I already see some of the questions come in. And obviously, <laughs> what do you think one of the first ones was? <laughs> Something about there's people asking about the licensing issue. Someone asked, hey, what do you mean by contract? What do you mean by licensing agreement? Just briefly for the folks out there, why don't you just kind of break that down? Like for people that don't understand the legal side of things, how do you do this without getting a license? How does that even work? Well, as you explain in multiple of the podcasts that we I binge listen to, just the Fair Housing Act and the, the federal laws. And as you say, they trump the 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 state and local laws and not discriminating against individuals living in, in the houses. And I think you, the perfect examples are like college students. How, well, why can we house multiple college students in a house, but not the elderly population? I think that's pretty clear right there. Yep. So. That's a perfect example that I like to tell to people if like, it's not really clicking. So yeah, everybody out there, you're probably in a city where they have, you know, frat houses and sorority houses. Those landlords don't need a license or permission or certification or anything like that. They just rent out by the room, by the beds. Sometimes they do bunk beds. Sometimes they throw four of those kids uh, in their rooms, right? <laughs> so what would it be called if you wanted to do a similar setup, but with seniors? What would the legal term be, Jade, if they allowed the dorm, you know, the, the college kids, that's fine and dandy, but, oh, your tenants are over 65. You need to do this, this, and this. What would that be called? Discrimination? Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. And they could get in big trouble for it. So then there's, so that's just the legal basis, right? Is And this is all, you know, there's a ton of federal laws and regulations that protect you and your tenants. But Let's use the other example. So you're getting referrals from domestic abuse victims, right? They need bare minimum. They, they have caseworkers and counseling, right? Yes. So how much staff do you have 
underneath you? How many employees do you have that are providing counseling and casework and stuff like that? Zero. So how does that work? So what we do is we focus on the housing. We ensure that they have success with the house and we outsource to the organizations to provide their expertise. So we are focused on house and the next organization focuses on what they offer for the client. Yep. So in that example from, you know, earlier when Jade said she got a referral, those organizations, they're the ones that provide the casework, the counseling and whatever else their clients may need. The housing aspect is simply just that kind of last, typically it's the last part of the program, right? They're going to come in, the caseworker is going to get them set up with whatever they need. Could be like health issues, could be medications, counseling, what have you. Jade, have you gotten any leads before where you kind of had to do that side of things and get the people like set up with a service that they need? I personally did not. The one lady that would, she was very proactive. She knew what she needed to do to set it up. So I did provide a couple of like in-home healthcare companies that were set up, but she went and found her own. So I provided resources, but that was the extent. Yeah. So that's one of the things that people get kind of overwhelmed by, you know, outsourcing. What does that mean? Do you need to go set up another company? Do you need to have all these like business relationships and contracts with like health companies? No, typically not. That could be a referral source sometimes, or there's other opportunities out there. But most of the time, the stuff's set up before the people come to you for housing. And in the rare case that you do get a lead, like where was that lead from, Jade, for, with the woman that didn't have any services but needed it? It was an organization that worked with a lot of the homeless population. Okay. So maybe like one of the smaller organizations, maybe a little underfunded, and they weren't actually providing the services. Um, But yeah, that's the way it goes. So if you do get somebody like that, you can simply, it's usually just a referral. And if it's someone that really is like incapable of handling day-to-day activities like that, you're not going to be dealing with people like that. Those calls are going to come from family members or social workers or people like that. So yeah, those are the basics. So we're not going to spend a ton of time answering just the general questions because we have so many, there's so many other videos and stuff like that out there. But I would say, I always say the first step, it's the first step after you learn the basics. So you're definitely going to want to understand the legal side of things, why it's legal, you know, why you're not going to get in trouble. What's It's like second nature to me. So I forget, but was that one of the things that kind of held you back as well, Jade? It was in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of people, they're like worried about getting in trouble or, you know, they're worried if like these organizations are going to like, okay, you know, what's your certification or what's your, you know, what license do you have that rarely, rarely comes up? Did you ever have anybody ask you that? Initially? Yes. Just asking what, how we can do this. And again, if you keep just allow them or let them understand the, the discrimination that would be out there. Yeah. So I understand it pretty quickly then. (laughs) Yeah. That's where just understanding it and being able to explain it like you would to a friend. That's where it's going to come. 
definitely be of huge value for you. So yeah, for sure that you guys definitely want to study and kind of at least understand the basics. And I always say, Hey, practice with friends. Like when you were really getting going, did your husband and friends and family, were they kind of asking you what you were doing, Jade? I had one good friend who she would kind of quiz me on it. Beautiful. Like, okay, you got it. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. Anybody that's curious, they're all going to ask the same questions. Right. And otherwise just practice with yourself in the mirror, look at yourself and answer the questions. Yeah. Yeah. I would, uh, you know, don't try to memorize like what I say, because every conversation I have is different. If you guys could just understand the general principles and just be able to explain it confidently and really understand it. Then when it, it does come time to speak with organizations, caseworkers, and especially like the investors, I would say the investors kind of ask you more about the details than like the organizations, right? Yes, definitely. Because some of them, they just have never heard of the model. And so that makes sense that they want clarification before they allow, they sign the paper for opening up their house. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's switch it up a little bit since we are kind of doing this live. Let's go and let's see if we got any good questions from the folks out here that that we didn't kind of touch on with me while I do that Jade kind of just break down so you got two properties looking for number three it's been a little under a year why don't you tell the folks like where do you see yourself in like the next one to two years what are your goals right now we want to just keep well one of two ways with our investor as he keeps flipping houses and willing to partner we'll expand with that I personally want to purchase a little more as well. And then we also, with the initial investor that you and I had spoken with, we're looking at building as well, building some duplexes. Nice. That's exciting. Um, All that takes time. So in the interim, work with the investor and see what comes available for housing to purchase. And maybe a little bit of coaching and consulting as well, right? We can add that too. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this after we wrap up like the interview portion, a little exclusive for the folks that are live on the webinar. So Josiah has a good kind of just comment. I want to see if you, I know Andy always says this, but once you got that first one kind of under your belt, does it feel like it's a wash and repeat once you get the hang of it? Yeah, I would say so. The initial parts of it. So I would say I do one of my houses is males and one of the houses is females. And so there are different issues, we'll say, uh, within the houses. But the concept definitely, Josiah, is the wash and repeat. Yeah, and there, there's going to be challenges that come up. You know, you're going to learn around the, along the way. How are you handling like the management? Do you have supervisors or house managers yet? What's that look like? Yes, Um, we do currently have a house manager at the property for the females. And that just does reduce the amount of calls or contacts that would be directed to me immediately. They can kind of step in and mitigate and then allow me or let me know then what is going on. So you're still in what we would call like the operational manager position, which 
how much like on average per month how much time do you think that you spend either monthly or weekly on managing the two properties when the houses are full i would say in the uh, we'll go with weekly the last couple of weeks i would say i spent maybe an hour the whole business because the houses are fully occupied everything is flowing so i would say the last couple of weeks was an hour there we go so, so want to open up in the next house it, it takes a little more time because you have to furnish it and do all that but that's not the same as your day-to-day management yeah so it's typically i would say sometime within that like three to five home range that's when the cash flow it's not like you're not going to be like rich rich at that point but the cash flow is decent it's you kind of start to get a little bit busy especially if you're looking for real estate and continuing your marketing and stuff like that that's typically the point where i see people go and and start to look for that first operational manager do you have any plans for that or have you thought about that um once it gets so that once we get a few more properties definitely that's the plan to outsource myself yeah so i would say that's another big misconception out there a lot of people think that they have to be at the property, you know, 24 seven, they need to be taking care of the tenants and everything like that. But you guys just heard it. She got two properties and average week, it's just an hour or two per week, right? Yeah. Stacy asked a question. We kind of addressed this, but uh, do you need a home first before you apply for the done for you program? Jade? No, no. Don't let that part hold you back. No, you do not. We did not have the, we purchased the house while we were in the process of working with Brandon and the team. Would you, looking back, so this is kind of where opinion comes in. There's no right or wrong answer here. Jade, if you were to do it over, would you have done it in the order that we did or would you have just purchased the property first? I think I would have purchased it. Oh, before meeting you? No, I would not have purchased it. I believe. I guess if I would have known a little bit better, I would have purchased it earlier in the process with you, but I think it, it flowed how it was supposed to. Yeah. That's, and uh, if you guys go listen to our calls in the gold course, you'll never hear us like talking about the property or like talking about the amenities that we have or anything like that. Because Andy to this day, yeah, he's not going to go, he's not going to convert or go get a new property until like he's got a wait list rocking and rolling or until he has a new program that he wants to work with. So it totally comes down to kind of everybody's risk tolerance and kind of how they want to do it. But you definitely do not need a property before you start this. So Stacy, you definitely don't need it before you get the done for you program and you don't need it even with the gold quarter stuff, you could totally do this stuff on your own. The done for you program is really just to be a, a shortcut. So, you know, we want to work with people that kind of have the skills, the resources and everything to do this on their own, but people that have big goals and they're looking to kind of shorten that time frame. Are you working with like the VA or, or anything like that, Jade, or is it still kind of like the smaller nonprofits? The smaller nonprofits as of now. Yeah, the VA is tough. Um, I want to the VA. 
even some of the larger organizations, like some of the places that even we probably spoke with, they're almost like they get so big that they get really bureaucratic and it's just, you have to do a ton of follow-up and like a lot of hoops that you need to jump through. So yes, the VA, they have a bunch of different programs, but, um, you know, even to this day, Andy doesn't work directly with the VA. He almost did. What was it called? I forget the name of the program. But uh, again, there were just so many hoops that he had to jump through and the calls were coming in. He just never followed up with them. Um, or working with the veterans, but not like specifically the VA as well. So there are other organizations out there that assist, but not the VA. Yeah. I mean, and then you can verify this with veterans uh, yourselves out there. If you don't have any friends, just, you know, go talk to them. You'll find them on the street because the VA is so bureaucratic that it's hard for them to even get benefits. So there's a ton of nonprofits out there that work specifically with veterans, even shelters or all these other programs. Like a lot of vets don't work with the VA. You'll see them at these other places that we recommend you guys market to. A lot of basics here, like the contract licensing questions. I'm going to refer you guys to in the gold course, there's a video called fully understanding the business model. It goes in depth about the legalities of it, the type of contract that we use, the licensed versus unlicensed stuff. I don't want to get too much into the weeds on that. We've touched on the basics, I think pretty good. The contract though, like uh, Jade, I'll, I'll let you handle that. So is it like a lease agreement that you're doing with your tenants or what's that like? For the licensing agreement then? Yep. Yeah. So just basically allows the simplest way that I say it allows us the flexibility to come into the home when we need to, rather than the lease with the tenant, it can be short-term, long-term. And when the, when the rules or the licensing agreement is violated, you are allowed to make the person be removed from the property, have them move out of the property. And so that is the overall gist. It gives you a little more control of your property rather than a traditional lease with the landlord. Yeah, it's, it's, it gives you a way more control. <laughs> so that's, a, again, a good, really big bonus of the gold course is we have the we just call it the tenant agreement in the gold course, but technically it's a licensee agreement. So the legal term is just license. We're simply licensing space to these. They're technically not tenants. You can call them guests or what have you, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not a lease and it definitely doesn't come with the light, the rights to a lease. It's written heavily in our favor. Did you have any objections to that with the organizations? Sometimes we have to go in and tweak stuff, but did you have anything like that? Not objections, just honestly suggestions of certain things to add. Minor little things, but just little bits that they said to clarify. Yeah. So not objections. No, not at all. Cool. And I, I used the one that you guys provided and tweaked it within that works for us. So yeah, that's like the basic that we, that's like the standard one that we're going to start with. 
yeah, some people may want to add things. You may need to tweak it depending on the situation, but by and large, that's typically, you know, we're going to go with something that's very, very almost identical to that typically. A couple of questions about uh, just average price. Are you doing, is it mostly private rooms or is it the share like roommate situation? We are, we're doing both. And so we do have private rooms that do run a little bit more. And then there are the shared rooms that, that are lower in price. Um, For the shared, uh, do you want to share like what your average price per bed is? We start at it's six fifty for a shared room, so that's two individuals in in a room. I am in yes the DFW area, so it start we are starting at six fifty, and then all bills are included with that. And then for the private, we're doing a thousand. Okay, yep, it's pretty. There are some areas where it might be a little bit more, a little bit less, but I would say that's pretty standard in most of the cities across the country. That's a good question. So you've been at it for about a year. It's mostly, do you have long-term tenants or short-term? Have you figured out or have you thought of like what the average stay is yet? I would say for the male's house, when we, nobody's moved out yet, but the Female's house has been more of a turnover, but I have the organizations to fill it right away. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like we kind of mentioned before, she's looking for the other property. So if there is any turnover, it's it's probably pretty quick. So I would say like with that being said, I'm just learning, still learning to create that cohesive house, create, find those personalities that blend to help reduce on the turnover. So that's where a personal goal of myself is to create a more cohesive situation, not just throw anybody in that are going to create more problems. That's a great point. And that's something that you're not really going to get from the gold course. You're going to get that from that has to be that's just something you need to learn in the field. We can obviously like we can always kind of help to a point, but like you said, that's just something that you're getting, you just get better at. Eventually you can kind of see who's going to vibe with who, who's going to get along. Are there any like specific intake questions that you ask when people are coming in that, that you've found as, has kind of helped you? Not yet, to be honest, Brandon, maybe you can guide me into some questions that we should ask. We're pretty, we did it in the beginning, just kind of via email. We, but what we like to do, just, we want to see if they're agreeable in the beginning. So if it's someone that's kind of like, like they have an issue with like the house rules, or let's say we get someone that's on SSI and they're like, oh, I don't really want to go through a rep payee. You know, I'll just pay you. It's like, no, like we're just going to, we don't deal with people like that. So we have those basic filters kind of built into the system right off the bat. Then it's kind of, there's ways you could do it technically. So you could do a background check credit. You can do that. Uh, Andy and team do not. They just kind of, 
they talk to them, they'll do a showing, they try to get as much information as they can from the caseworker. And if there's any kind of like red flags, like off the bat, like attitude issues or anything like that, then they're just going to not follow up with that person. You can kind of, I don't know, I guess eventually you just kind of get a sense for who's going to be trustworthy, who's going to follow the rules. You can kind of tell by the questions that they ask right off the bat. And a big red flag is like, if they just, Hey, you know, I have a, I have a girlfriend that's going to want to come over. Is there any leniency on, you know, the guest rules or anything like that? Or, Hey, they'd say they, any questions like that, <laughs> that's typically a red flag. So like I said, that's what I, my own personal, as we get more and more people in more houses is to just personally do a better job at that part. There's also just kind of enforcing of the house rules. You definitely don't want to, you don't want to bend those. That's just kind of human nature. And one, probably one of those things that might be tough in the beginning, but people are going to, if they can get away with stuff and they get a sense that you're not going to be strict with it. That's where things can kind of, it could go haywire, but that's tough. I mean, that's a challenge. It's even to this day. I mean, Andy still has challenges with that. It's not like he's not a mind reader, right? So he still has people that cause problems and he's just got to fall back on the agreement and give people the boot every now and then. But there's also you also want to work with the, either the family or the caseworkers in that case, you know, we don't want to just kick people out all the time, but um, sometimes you have to. What type of neighborhoods are you in, Jade? Are you in like a very high end neighborhood? Like, was it really costly or what's that like? Are you kind of in, a, in an affordable area of the area? Of the, uh, the neighborhoods are on a more affordable level areas that are turning or slowly turning into more desirable neighborhoods but no the you want the neighborhood to not create not create um just growing neighborhoods during the the real estate term and it's it's a it's a great question from sorry if i'm saying this wrong but fatmata lives in an area where the cost of living is high wants to know if the program is doable. Typically, it's going to work wherever you're at. I would say the where it's not going to work is if you're like out, like imagine like the really nice neighborhood, like new neighborhoods and kind of North Dallas, like Frisco, Jade. Mm-hmm. If that like wasn't close to a city like Dallas or something like that. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere, that's just suburbs, there's not the need for affordable housing. You know, that's where you could face some challenges. It's doable, but definitely going to be challenging. Or if you're in like, just if you're in like Manhattan, (laughs) but you know, you can't find like a big house. It's just really small condos and stuff like that. Get out of there, go into the burbs. Mm -hmm. Uh, But other than that, in general, as long as there's a need for affordable housing, it can work in pretty much anywhere. You just have, kind of have to find that right little, that right area. Needs to be, in our opinion, close to a metropolitan area. And what Jade was describing was a transitioning neighborhood. So we like those C class neighborhoods that are turning into the B class neighborhoods. So 
picture those places where you see a lot of flips going on, where you see a lot of rentals to begin with. You want it to be affordable for you to begin with. And then you kind of, you adjust to the market. So we do have some clients in like California, for example, where their average price per bed is like 850. So, but that's considered affordable in those markets. Um, that's just kind of similar to that. Carol has a home in a subdivision, a little concerned about the neighbors. neighbors. Yeah, that's something that comes up. But in general, if you're, if you're in a neighborhood like that, where there's already, you know, renters, there shouldn't be any issues. And technically, just the legal side of things, even if your neighbors, this is the extreme example that I use <laughs> to kind of hammer this point home. Let's say you are in a neighborhood that's a gated community, high end, ton of families in there, you know, little kids riding around on their bikes after school. In theory, you could start a home for transitioning ex-felons. You're protected. You're still protected by these fair housing laws and things like that that we talk about. But Jade, <laughs> would you want to do that personally? Absolutely not. Yes. So we want to get along with our neighbors 100%. So that's where a great question, Carol, it's kind of nuanced. I would say if your neighborhood is, if it is in one of those nice neighborhoods, do the Golden Girls model. Might take a little bit more work and networking. You can't cast as wide of a net, but it could still work. That's a good question. Sorry, I forget, Jade, but you had an LLC, correct? Yes, we created an LLC. Yep. And that's, again, pretty simple process. You just have to, you can file that through this uh, Secretary of State. So if you're in Georgia, look up Secretary of State Georgia LLC, and it should pop up. And it's like that for every state. Avoid those third parties. They're going to charge you like $1,000 to do something that you can do very easily on your own. What about insurance? That's another thing that people kind of get hung up on. Jade, did you have to get like specific group home insurance? We did the, well, just your general business liability insurance. And then we have for the house that we're renting, we did get a renter's insurance for it, but that's the extent. Yep. So Maybe not the answer that a lot of people out there are expecting, or they may overthink this, but that's the exact answer I would give you guys. Okay. So it's uh, on paper, you're like just a, like a real estate company, right? Jade? Yes. Yeah. And then, yeah, just general business or general business liability. Um, and then you're either going to have renter's insurance or, or homeowner's insurance. We actually have, we have a podcast coming out soon with one of our first done for you clients who's actually in the insurance industry. We go through that in a little bit more detail, but he didn't really say much different than that. <laughs> so that's something that, that's one of those things that again, if you overthink it could hold you back, but that's it. We got a couple questions about the done for you price. We'll talk about the details after this interview and Q&A portion guys. So stick around for that. And I'll tell you guys how you can apply, hop on a call with us, and we'll go over all of those details one-on-one -on -one 
with folks that think that they're ready to roll. Zach has two homes ready in March. Should have started the program as soon as you thought about working with us. <laughs> Jennifer, how much in California, Sacramento, and Modesto? So Jade is coming on to be one of our done-for-you coaches, actually. So you guys will be able to work with her. We have another coach that is actually, that's one of the markets that he works in. So his average price per bed is right around eight to 900. And that's for the shared housing. But Jade, don't get too pumped up because the houses cost like twice as much as they do in Dallas. It's all relative, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it just kind of <laughs> overall, like it, it, you want it to be affordable for you and affordable for your clients compared to the market. So. Right. Bola asked about how do you get a house? We talked about that. You could partner with a landlord. Nexus has a good question. You want to drop just a couple of the basic house rules, Jade? Oh, the basic house rules. Big ones would be no alcohol, no drugs, no violence, no weapons. Clean up after yourself. We do have a chore chart in there as well. That's not in the house rule, but we do have it posted out. That is helpful. Certain hours of quiet time, like in your room, I believe at 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. Brandon, am I missing? It varies, but that's, yeah, our lights out are typically around 10 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. And we have, even in the tenant agreement, the licensee agreement, there's a couple, like, there's some verbatim in there that's kind of, I don't know, we've never been taken to court over it, but it's really generalized and kind of, like I said, heavily written in your favor. So it's like, we have something in there that says, you know, you can't start fights with tenants. You can't cause a disturbance. There's, there's things like that. They're very general. So we, in general, we just want to make it like everybody has to get along. Everybody has to do their chores. Yeah. It's kind of generalized, but that's how we want it. Like some of the verbiage in there is kind of vague to kind of, so we could fall back on stuff if needed. But yeah, those are the typical ones, you know, clean up after yourself. Um, in theory, if somebody leaves a dish out, like that's how heavily it's written in our favor, we could kick the person out. We're not going to do that. Right. But if someone is just like completely messy, never cleans up after themselves, you know, we might give them two or three warnings, but after that third one, we're going to give them the boot. Great question, Sharice. And this is just kind of comes down to just kind of a, like, I can tell that it's not the idea of outsourcing. is just not clicking for you. So Sharice asks, can you stack services such as providing informative group sessions with your clients that reside in your home or should that be separate? So Jade uh, has worked in social work before. Are you doing any type of social work for your clients or you in contract with any of them to provide that service, Jade? I am not. No, I'm providing a safe house. <laughs> it's the term out there. And this is kind of a buzzword that you guys can use when speaking with like local nonprofits and stuff like that. Housing first. Have you probably heard, have you heard that thrown around? Me? Yes. Yeah. So, hey, we're just focusing on housing first. In theory, like if you are... I'm trying to think like there's we've 
like we have some people that that work in credit repair. They provide credit repair to some of their, their tenants or guests. Informative group sessions. It really depends on what you want to do with your time and what your goals are. But uh, if it's anything that requires a license or like some type of certification that you don't have, um, you, you, yeah, you can't do that. But again, it, it comes down to what your goals are. We have some clients that are just, they love to be very hands-on. They check on the tenants all the time. They'll come and bring, you know, gifts and snacks and things like that. Then there's some that are just, they're hands-off. They want to focus on the real estate. They have their house rules. They have their house managers. And then they'll have an operational manager that, that, that does all the day-to-day stuff. And they get it set up to where it's, it's almost, you know, nothing's ever super passive, but that's what their goals are. So great question, Sharice. If you have any more questions on that, shoot us an email and I can pass on some relevant material for you so, so that thing can click. But yeah, guys out there, if you got any like questions, like anything like you're fuzzy about, you don't really understand any of the main topics, shoot us an email. That's the quickest way to kind of figure out the basics and just email us. And uh, there's usually like, there's a ton of stuff in the gold course, but the basics, like that's all free stuff. We can just point you to the right material so you can really dive in and, uh, and you want to click, right? I would say that's the first step that that made you like, remember how fuzzy you were on like the licensing stuff, Jade? Yes. Once that really clicked, didn't you like feel better about like proceeding? Oh yeah. It just creates those ahas. Yeah. And it creates the confidence with that. Bingo. Good question from uh, Lanessa. Would you want to do this virtually, Jade? Like, would you want to do that in another state? Well, I am debating that, to be honest. Okay. But I have, but with starting it down here first near B. So I know it a little bit, but I am toying with the idea of going to another state with it. But with that said, I do have other people there who would assist with it. So in the beginning, no, I would not personally want to go out of state. I think it's important to learn it hands-on with yourself before taking it elsewhere. But that's my, that's a personal choice, a personal opinion. I would agree with that. I think, I mean, technically, like we worked with you virtually, right? But you were the boots on the ground. I think there needs to be somebody out there that can handle issues if they arise, uh, check out the properties, meet with the organizations. So Vanessa, if you have someone like in another state that they kind of know the business, I wouldn't recommend doing it without like that type of person, like a business partner or operational manager or something like that. We did have one client. We did have one done for you client that was able to do it, but they had like a family member that was right there that could do all the stuff that we were teaching them to do. We haven't had any negative experiences with it, but we're not going to be taking on any done for you clients if you're not like physically located in the city that we're going to be operating in because I just foresee too many things that that could go wrong, especially if you're a beginner. Zach, it's Andy at Group Home Riches or uh, Brandon at GroupHomeRiches.com if you have any questions. Kind of a, a basic question, but a really good one. Jade, 
and this comes down to like just the overall management of things again no right or wrong answer but do you are you utilizing like security cameras and things like that we do have security cameras in the just the common spaces in the house so that's your living room your kitchen and then if there's a hallway and that's all we do cool Andy's a little old school. I think he's done it in a couple of the newer sober homes, but he actually did not know security cameras, but we definitely recommend you guys do that. I think it helps with the management a lot from what I've heard from clients, right? I think in a, to an extent, the, the tenants appreciate it for the most part. If there is a little issue, they say, hey, go look at this camera, blah, 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 blah happened. And mm-hmm. so... I think it just creates a concrete evidence rather than word against word. Yep. Yeah. I don't really see any negatives to it. And they're really, they're affordable at this mm-hmm. point. So I don't see anything, anything wrong with it. All right. David has a great question. Then we'll wrap up like the interview and Q&A portion of it. And we'll talk about the done for you details. So how are you doing on time, Jade? Oh, I'm fine. Okay, cool. So I'm going to preface, David has a great question. I'm going to tell a couple of stories before we get into this. With this, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with humans in general. Situations can go wrong when you're working with humans. With that being said, in this particular business, you're working with folks that aren't necessarily like they're looking to improve their lives. They're not necessarily in the top rungs of society, right? So there's definitely issues that can go wrong. I will tell you in property management, when I first started out in real estate, I worked at for a company that I was eventually got moved to a location that had like 400 units. There were shootings, there were stabbings, there were Every month, there was a large proportion of people that didn't pay that we had to go wander around and post eviction notices on their doors. We had to kick people out. We had to go move their stuff out to the side of the street while they were all crying, even though they've been getting notices for like 60 to 90 days. Building eight was newer than all the other buildings because one of the tenants created a meth lab in building eight, blew it up, and then uh, the company had to rebuild that. (laughs) So that's with people that are qualified. So those were people that had sufficient income, they had good credit, they had good rental history. With that, there was still a ton of crazy stuff that could happen, right? And it's just a numbers game. We're talking 400 units, families, That amount of people, crazy stuff's going to happen. Jade hasn't scaled that much, uh, but I think the worst thing that happened to Andy with in the shared housing, one of the tenants was a victim of a drive-by. Okay, so definitely things can go wrong. So we do have systems in place, though, to kind of minimize that, right? So we have guaranteed payments, typically. We have the cameras. We have the house rules. We have that tenant agreement we can always fall back on to, to kind of, there are problems. We can just get them out of the house as quick as possible. So that being said, David had a great question for you, Jade. What's the worst thing that's happened with you while dealing with a tenant so far? That's a, Well, 
the biggest issue was we do not provide food in our houses. So the biggest issue was so-and-so ate so-and-so's food. And that has just been the issue, was eating the other tenant's food. And that's all we've really had to deal with. Personally, I've never felt unsafe going into any of the homes. I don't know if that was part of the question. So nothing's personally happened to me as far as the issues in the house was just people eating other people's food. Yeah. And it's just, (laughs) I would say Andy can verify this as well, since he does a ton of rentals as well. The majority of times I speak with Andy and he's stressed out, it's from his rental properties. So even though you are dealing with people that are kind of lower income, a lot of them do have issues. These systems that we have in place really do kind of minimize like the bad stuff that could happen. So that's a perfect example, Jade, of just kind of like like these day-to-day activities. So how did you handle that when so-and-so ate so-and-so's food? Oh, we discussed it and then <laughs> it reimbursed and that's that. <laughs> I, this, I'm, I'm laughing because there was a great comment that happened here uh, that popped in. That happens at corporate America jobs. People eat each other's foods, right? So this is like basic management stuff that you might have to deal with, you know, if you work at the HR department at some some corporate job. Great point. And that's kind of to my main point, you're dealing with humans and we are flawed species. So there's definitely stuff that could go awry. So then with that said, though, within your, the tenant agreement, in essence, you can be very firm of you are stealing somebody else's property. So if it continues to be an issue, it gives you the control, the power to kick that individual out if needed. It sounds harsh over food, but that shows the importance of the tenant agreement. Yeah. So we got a little bit of pushback on that. So basically you do nothing at all. You were taking care of that as soon as that comment came in. That's where, again, you know, it depends on the situation, something like that. We, we'd probably, we would give a warning, you know, where we may like report it to the caseworker and kind of let them, we'll follow up with the tenant. Hopefully the social worker or caseworker or family member that we're working with, they'll follow up with them as well. But again, it's back to the systems. Like if you want to run like, a really, really tight ship. Yeah. And in theory, you could kick that person out immediately. And it's to your point, right? Like we don't provide food. It's like, you know, does that person have food stamps? Do they know about the programs that are available? That's something that we could help that person with if they don't have anything like that set up, but there's so much programs and things like that out there for people. I'm guessing they could have been a mistake or it could have just been some late night cravings, but did the, has the, is that a continuing problem or was just one issue like that? Was that enough? And the, the behavior was corrected. Well, we did have to contact the caseworker after that and they did have to come in and talk to. And so it did have to have a couple conversations. Okay. Yeah. And that's the beauty of uh, the system, the, the kind of rules and everything like that. Last question that we'll handle and then we'll kind of do We'll wrap up this portion of it. Someone asked about, can you do this with apartments? 
I, it, it's going to be on our YouTube or one of the previous webinars that we did, but that is actually something that, that Andy has transitioned into. In theory, you can do shared housing, but he's typically just going to, there's a lot of vouchers. There's a lot of programs, uh, HUD VASH, Section 8. There's a lot of related organizations and programs like that out there for folks that either need or want a single unit. If you get a big apartment building or, you know, multifamily property or something like that, there's so many advantages to having something like that. Andy's just going to contact typically the same organizations that he's getting referrals from and, you know, he's made connections with. And instead of doing the shared housing model, you say, hey, you know, I'm open to this hundred unit. And, you know, we're, we're open to single units. And yeah, so you can, short answer is, in theory, yeah, you could do shared housing, but with the apartment buildings and multifamily stuff, we'll stick with the single family stuff. And it's basically like having a subsidized rent. And there's so many advantages to multifamily, like depreciation, even if you're only getting two or 300 per door, when you have hundreds of doors, that's still a ton of cash flow, right? So still a ton of advantages, um, even with the single units, if you do get into apartment buildings, Jade has mentioned it. That's one of her goals getting into, you got to start with like maybe a duplex or a fourplex. Yeah. We're thinking of doing or building some duplexes. Yeah. So great question. I kind of lost it, but whoever asked that, I would recommend learn how to walk before you learn how to run. So if you don't have any apartment buildings, let's start with that first property. So let's we'll wrap up this interview portion. Jade, stick around. Everybody else, stick around. If you're catching this on YouTube or on the podcast, make sure you sign up at grouphomeriches.com so you get our emails and you can catch the next live webinar. Jade, do you have any parting words for the folks out there that are listening to this in the future on the podcast? If you're ready for it, just Take the step and do it. Reach out to the organizations. And once you meet somebody, like I said, they, they'll know the next person. And so ask the questions and do it. Beautiful. And for folks out there that are interested in working with Jade and us with the Done For You program, reach out to us via email. Again, at least bare minimum, sign up for the free material at grouphomeriches.com. Check out the gold course and, and coaching and website development if this is something that you're serious about. And if you have some funds, maybe you've had some success in business before, you're really serious, you have big goals and you kind of want to work with us and get that shortcut and possibly work with Jade, have her hold your hand or one of our other successful group home operators slash coaches definitely reach out to us and ask about the done for you program. We are going to go into details about that. Jade, thank you for joining us again. And we will wrap that up right now. So, all right. Thank you.